This morning's reading is from the first book of Samuel. The people of Israel have grown weary of their responsibility of governing themselves. They want a system that is simpler and easier and ask less of them, someone who will fight on their behalf. So they come to God's prophet with a request that would change everything. Here now, this reading from 1 Samuel chapter 8. When the prophet Samuel grew old, the body of elders of Israel came to him and said, Appoint a king to lead us, as all the other nations do. This made Samuel upset, so he prayed to Yahweh. Yahweh, however, responded, Give to the people whatever they ask for. They are not rejecting you. They are rejecting me as their king. They've done this ever since the day I brought them up out of Egypt. They desert me and worship other gods, as they are doing to you. Listen to them carefully, but warn them solemnly and let them know what will happen if they have a king over them. Samuel went back to those who had asked for a king and told them what Yahweh said. He told them, this is the type of the king that will rule over you. Your king will take you youths and make them serve as charioteers or with the cavalry, while others will be made to run in front of the chariots. Your king will appoint some of them commanders of troops of a thousand and divisions of a hundred. Others will be forced to plow and harvest the royal fields. Still, others will work making weapons of war and equipment for chariots. Your daughters will be taken as cooks, bakers, and makers of perfume. Your king will take the best of your fields your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to various governing officials and attendants. You will have to give parts of your crops and your vineyards for the king to use these funds in support of the eunuchs and slaves. The king will take your workers, your best cattle, and donkeys, and take them for his personal use. Your king will take a tenth of your flocks, and you, yourselves, who are now free people, will become like slaves. On that day, people of Israel, you will cry out against the very king you chose. And on that day, it will be on your shoulders. The people refused to listen to Samuel's warning and insisted, no, we must have a king over us. Then we will be like other nations who have kings to lead and to lead us in warfare and to fight our battles. After Samuel listened to that, all the people said, he related to Yahweh. Yahweh responded, the choice is theirs. Give them a king. I had never been to Washington, D.C. before. So when the Alliance of Baptists decided to hold their annual gathering there last year, I jumped on the chance to go. 
Did you know that there are nearly a hundred museums there, not even to mention the landmarks and the memorials? We saw all kinds of incredible things, but there's this one image that keeps coming back to me, one piece of art that I've thought of over and over. The day we toured the U.S. Capitol building, we were split up into groups of about a dozen. We were each given headsets to listen to our soft-spoken tour guide as he led us through the sprawling campus. When we entered the Capitol's rotunda, that iconic cast-iron dome towering above the city, our tour guide instructed us to look up. Now, I've probably seen that dome hundreds of times in movies or on TV, but I'd never seen it from the inside. As we looked up through the oculus of the dome, we saw 180 feet above our heads an enormous fresco covering nearly 5,000 square feet. It was a religious piece, something I'd expect to see in the Vatican, but not in the heart of our nation's capital. It was a painting of a circle of celestial figures, 15 feet tall, holding a divine council. I saw the goddess of liberty and the goddess of victory I saw several tableaus featuring the gods of war, science, marine, commerce, mechanics, and agriculture, and sitting in the middle, adorned in purple robes, was George Washington. Painted in the mid-1800s, our tour guide quietly explained, this piece took nearly 11 months to complete. As you can see, it depicts President Washington seated in his place among various heavenly figures. The title of this piece, he informed us, is The Apotheosis of Washington. Well, I looked over at him and wondered if maybe I'd misunderstood. I don't remember all that much from my one required semester of Greek, but theosis is not a word you forget. It means to make someone into a god. So the title of this piece, in other words, was Washington Raised to Godhood. I stood there looking up in awe, my thou shalt have no other gods before me alarm going off in my head. And I realized that the building in which we stood was more, as much as anything else, a temple. Before we moved on, I gave Washington one last look, and I thought, this is not how a democracy treats a president. This is how a monarchy treats a king. Now, I knew about Washington refusing a third term, despite pressure to stay in office, helping set the precedent that the office is more important than the personality occupying it. But there were other things I didn't know. Until that tour, I didn't know that the earliest drafts of the president's residence didn't refer to it as the White House, but the palace. I didn't know that from the very early days of our founding, there was a push by some to crown George Washington as the king of the United States, a push from which Washington recoiled in horror. In a nation founded on principles of democracy and freedom, in a nation where the leaders work for and answer to the people, there is no room for a king. And yet, like Israel of old, there is something in us 
that cries out for a king just the same. Thousands of years before the advent of the United States, the children of Israel, a loose confederation of tribes, were learning how to govern themselves. Having been set free from Egypt's tyrannical monarchy, God set before them this radically new option. I will be your God, the voice told them from Sinai's summit, and you will be my people. I will dwell not in some far-off place, but among you. I will speak not through some priest, but to you. And to that offer, the people said, no. What? I can imagine Moses asking, baffled, why? Because it's too much, Israel said. It scares us. It intimidates us. You speak to God, and we will listen to what you say God says. Be a mediator for us, just like other nations have. But a mediator will obscure God's presence, I can imagine Moses protesting. They'll skew God's words towards their own interest. They'll abuse their priestly position. You, who are now free to commune with God, are giving up your own freedom. Mark my words. Soon you will cry out against the priests and false prophets that you have chosen. But on that day, it will be on your shoulders. But his words fell on deaf ears. So God said, the choice is theirs. Give them a priest. And we know how it went from there. Again, many years later, the story would play out again. Having established themselves in a region, God set before them this radically new option. I will be your king, God had said. Every tribe, community, and individual will answer directly to me and live by our covenant. You will answer not to some power-hungry monarch, but to my commandments written on your hearts. And to that offer, the people said, no. What? Samuel asked, baffled. Why? Well, because it's just too much, Israel said again. It scares us. It intimidates us. It would be much easier for you just to give us a king to rule over us as other nations have. Give us someone who will tell us what to think and what to do. Someone who will bring order and unity. But a king will take your children and make servants of them, Samuel protested. They'll take your best fields for their own use. They'll abuse their power. You, who are now a free people, are giving up your own freedom. Mark my words, soon you will cry out against this very king that you have chosen, but on that day, it will be on your shoulders. But his words fell on deaf ears. So God said, the choice is theirs. Give them a king. And we know how it went from there. The story plays out again and again and again. Freedom, you see, means responsibility. But there is something in us that fears that responsibility. It's intimidated by it. There is something in us that would rather cry out for a king. Eric Bridges, in a piece written for Baptist News Global, wrote, It's almost always unwise to compare modern nation-states to ancient Israel. 
Still, one parallel between ancient Israel and modern democracies is irresistible. The, Isra the Israelites of Samuel's time did not lose their freedom to outside forces, despite their constant conflict with invaders. They gave it up willingly, even eagerly. They wanted someone to tell them what to think and what to do, to bring order. A king, they thought, would solve everything. Except, of course, that's not true. Moses knew that. Samuel knew that. Washington and the founders knew that. A king is not a shortcut because there are no shortcuts. Freedom means doing our work. If I'm honest, this story has hit me hard the past several days because I've recognized that during this election season, this is exactly what I've been doing. I'm hiding and I'm crying out for a king. Deep down, I know that my call is to serve my neighbors, to have hard conversations with my neighbors. It's to engage people who disagree with me about LGBTQ rights, about a woman's right to choose, about racial reconciliation. I know that my call is to listen well, to speak empathetically and honestly, because that is how minds are changed. I know that my call is to think local, to get in touch with the culture of my own city and state and advocate for policies and leadership who will practice the kind of freedom that I believe in here where it's achievable. I know that my call is to criticize the bad through the practice of the better. But that is hard and it's intimidating and it is much easier to cry out for a king. It's easier to cry out for someone to fight for me, to do the work for me. It's easier to obsess over a presidential election as though if my champion won, everything would be okay. As though I wouldn't still have to share this nation with the 50% who bitterly disagree with me, who will not be silenced and who are not going anywhere. So I cry out for a king in the false hope that if they win, I won't have to do my own work. And these stories that we've read tell me that I'm probably not the only one. Now, please don't misunderstand me. The office of the president is important. It is important who holds that office, who commands the armed forces, who appoints the heads of federal agencies, who implements and enforces laws written by Congress. This is not a Jesus take the wheel, whoever wins, God is still king kind of sermon. It is the opposite. What I'm saying is that whether your candidate wins or whether your candidate loses, you are not electing a king. What I'm saying is that we must never avoid the work that at the end of the day, a king cannot do for us. It is ours and ours alone to do. Claiming that God is our king does not release us of responsibility. It is a commitment to the service of love and justice. But I will admit to you that I have not followed this wisdom. I have for far too long acted to trade the work of my freedom 
for the lure of simplicity. I have obsessed over one position, hoping that someone will fight my battles for me. I'll admit to you that I don't know the names of our local representatives. I don't know the names of our city council people. I'm not aware of what our mayor really even does or what, if any, non-discrimination policies are in place in this town that I live in. I do not regularly read about these things or converse with leaders and citizens who I know disagree with me, and that is not acceptable. I have not been practicing politics worthy of the gospel. And I have instead hidden behind the cry for a king. And again, I suspect I'm not alone in that. So if over the past week you have found yourself feeling disproportionately helpless or relieved or overwhelmed, as I have, then let's take it as a sign. May it be a sign that we have lost sight of what is ours to do, that we've lost sight of the power and the freedom that we truly have if we'll only claim it. Because I am not helpless, and neither are you. It is important who sits in that office, but it is far from the most important fight. It is imperative that we find the courage together to embody our values here, to allow God to work and heal through us here on the ground level, starting with whatever is right in front of us in this season, wherever we are. So, people of God, may we heed the warnings of Moses and Samuel. May we heed the warnings of Washington and our founders. May we be a people dissatisfied with kings, with political parties, with easy answers and shortcuts, unintimidated by what is ours to do. May we be a community of prophets animated by nothing less than the Pentecost spirit burning at our core. May we recognize that within us that cries out for a king. And may we say, no. Amen.